welcome to Spirit of the Camino, a podcast about the unique and magical experience that is the Camino de Santiago. Join us on this adventure and discover the spirit of the Camino for yourself. Hello and welcome back to the Spirit of the Camino podcast. I'm Nick and I'm here with Wendy. And as we continue looking at the Portuguese route of the Camino de Santiago, today we come to the languages that you encounter along the way, specifically Portuguese and Galego, spoken in Galicia. And I know you've been looking forward to this episode the whole season, right? Totally, yeah. I am a complete language geek, so I'm really in my element here and can't wait to dive into this. All right, so just to get us started, can you let us know what your background is in Portuguese? Because you've been learning this language for and speaking this language for 25 years now. Well, you're making me sound old there. Um, yeah, my credentials in Portuguese look pretty good on paper, at least. I have a degree in Portuguese, or more specifically in Brazilian language and literature. That was what I studied uh, for my bachelor's degree at university. Didn't really use it very much for a long time from a few months after I graduated university. I did use it very briefly for my first job after graduation. That was at Disney World in Florida. And the reason they hired me was because I spoke Portuguese, because they have a bunch of Brazilian kids, 15-year-old kids who come over. Um, when you turn 15 in Brazil, that's a big kind of rite of passage, a big celebration. So wealthier Brazilian kids will get a trip to Disney World and So the company, Disney World, needed people who could speak Portuguese, who could kind of bring these rowdy, spoiled brats into line. So that's what I did for about seven months after graduation. But after that, I haven't really used it much at all. I've used other languages. I was a translator professionally for several years, but never really translated from Portuguese. So I didn't get to use it much until we moved to Portugal, which was in the beginning of 2017. But uh, as I mentioned before, my degree is in Brazilian language and literature, and so I definitely learned the Brazilian version of the language. I also did a short study abroad stint in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro, and the way that they speak Portuguese here in Portugal is very different from the way that I was taught it. So I'm still struggling with that transition, to be honest. All right. So just so I can catch up with you a little bit here, um, when we started going out, which was 18 years ago now, uh, you spoke the four major Romance languages, and I didn't speak anything except English, but Portuguese was your favorite. And mm -hmm. so I started learning Portuguese, and it was something that we could do together, and it became a part of our... Um, you know, of our relationship that we would speak Portuguese to each other occasionally and throw in Portuguese words and things like that. So it is kind of nice that we ended up coming full circle and, and living in Portugal, um, even though, like you said, the Portuguese that we were speaking was Brazilian Portuguese. All right. So just before we get into this, can you tell us what your daily language learning routine is right now? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um... I'm on a big language kick right now, I guess, because I have extra time on my hands, you know, with the situation in 2020, we're spending a lot of time at home. And yeah, I've just gotten really back into languages. I've always loved languages, uh, but I've started picking up, going back and picking up ones that I had studied in the past and then had let them kind of slip. And I'm trying to get them back to a higher level now. And I've also picked up a couple of new ones one of which is Galego. So yeah, um, currently my routine is 
it's the first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning before I even get out of bed. Um, most of my studying I do on my phone. I use a lot of apps. Um, and I also watch videos and read. Um, well, I am actually reading a paperback book for one of my languages right now, but other things I often read as ebooks, also on my phone. So, yeah, my routine I start, I have two sessions currently. Um, so, the morning session is focused on Japanese and Galego. Um, and I do also a little bit of Italian. And a tiny bit of Croatian, which I don't think I've told you about. <laughs> Croatian, that's new. <laughs> it's not serious at all. It's just because we're supposed to be going to Croatia next year. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, just one of the apps that I'm using uh, for the other languages. It also has Croatian, so I'm just doing a quick little lesson there um, just to kind of get familiar with it a little bit. And it's similar to Russian, which I've also studied and which comes in in my second uh, my that's the second of the two learning language learning sessions of the day. Um, so I'm able to pick things up, uh, you know, things that I recognize from Russian. Anyway, so yeah, the first session um, starts with Russian, then Galego, and those are the two main focuses. I'd say those are the biggest ones that I'm really focused on right now. Japanese, I'm really, it's still a very low level. I've been studying it, I guess, for almost a year, um, ever since we went to Japan at the end of last year. Um, but again, it was still very casually, and I just wanted to pick up a few words and phrases that I could use while we were traveling, and then I really liked it, and so I kept doing it, you know, just a few minutes a day, and I'm still doing it probably a few more than a few minutes a day. Um, Galego is really interesting because I can already read books, at least, you know, kind of children's books or young adult books in Galego without having ever studied it just because it's so close to Spanish and Portuguese, which I already study. And we'll get into that more um, a bit later. So um, yeah, so then Italian, I just do one quick little lesson in an app. Um, I speak Italian decently already. I'm just kind of trying to maintain that one. And Croatian, I said, and like I said, I'm just dabbling in it. And then the second session I do sometime in the afternoon usually. And the main focus of that is Russian and Chinese. And those are both languages that I've studied in the past. Chinese in particular, I studied for a number of years and used to speak it pretty fluently. Uh, and then I put it aside and I lost it really quickly. So I'm trying to get it back now and I'm reading a book in Chinese and uh, in Russian I'm watching videos. So I'm trying to alternate, that's my method. Uh, for now is if I'm reading in one of those language, then I'm doing listening comprehension in the other. So currently it's reading for Chinese and listening slash viewing um, videos in Russian. Um, and I also do some little, some apps, you know, for vocabulary practice and, and things like that. Um, I think that's about it. Right, but there's also a third session is right there? before you go to bed. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Well, yeah, right before I go to bed is my relaxing reading time, um, which it's true has been in foreign languages for the past few months. I was reading a series of books in Spanish 
and then finished that series just before we went on the Camino. And then when we were in Santiago, I bought some books in Gallego and brought those home. And so now my nighttime reading is a book in Gallego, as I mentioned before. So it's a, a young adult book. The characters in the book are 12 years old. So I'm guessing that it's also written at a level for 12, 12 year olds to be able to read. In the beginning, it was a little bit jarring just because things are written a bit differently. Um, and obviously, there is some new vocabulary that's completely new to me that doesn't exist in either Spanish or Portuguese. But for the most part, I can read it and understand it pretty well um, without picking up a dictionary. I do look up some things in the dictionary just because I'm curious and interested and want to learn new words. Um, but yeah, Galego is really fun that way because I can go straight to the fun part, which is consuming content uh, in this language without having to go through all of, you know, the boring grammar exercises and, and stuff like that. Actually, I'm doing a little bit of that too, but um, <laughs> the point <laughs> is, you know, it's a complete contrast to Japanese, where even though I have been studying it for about a year now, I feel like I'm such a beginner in Japanese and I'm reading in Japanese as well, but it's teeny tiny little paragraphs. I'll read one paragraph and, and that's all that I can manage for a day because it takes me a long time to um, to figure out what it means. Whereas Galego, I can read it for fun, pretty much from the beginning. All right. Well, with all that in mind, let's get going and let's return to Portuguese. And mm -hmm. the good news for anybody who wants to do the Portuguese route of the Camino de Santiago is that you don't have to study like Wendy does um, to get your Portuguese up to speed because the level of English spoken in Portugal is very high. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of visitors to Portugal are surprised by that. In general, there's a very strong correlation between economic prosperity and level of English in countries that aren't already English-speaking countries. And so if you look in Europe, for example, you have countries like the Netherlands and countries like the Scandinavian countries where the level of English is, is really high. And then you have countries like Italy and Spain and Southern Europe where the level is lower. And so this is true, more or less, but Portugal is the big exception to that, at least within Europe. And so if you look at the English Proficiency Index, um, which measures all countries, or at least most countries that are non-English speaking countries, Portugal ranks 12th out of all countries in the world. Hmm. And the other countries that it's near in terms of European countries are countries like Germany and Belgium, um, you know, which you would expect to be that high. In Portugal, perhaps you wouldn't expect to be that high. So they're in the bracket, the highest bracket, which is called very high proficiency. Uh, the next bracket is high proficiency, and then you have to go down to the third bracket, which is moderate proficiency, where you find France, Spain, and Italy. So they're all in the 30s um, in terms of rank, whereas Portugal's all the way up at number 12. So that's really interesting, and as I said, something that I think is a, a big surprise to a lot of people, um, that especially people who have been on Camino in Spain will notice that difference when they come to Portugal, even though Portugal is not uh, as economically strong as Spain. Yeah, and I didn't even realize that it was that high, that they were number 12 in the world. But it does make sense. Um, definitely most people here, and especially people of younger generations, I'd say anyone who is 40 years old or younger, will speak fluent English m more often than not. 
Um, and it's actually, I mean, we've gotten a little bit lazy and have um, developed relationships where we speak to local people in English rather than in Portuguese. Um, I wasn't that confident in my Portuguese when we first got here, and I'm trying to switch that now. I'm trying to speak to people in Portuguese more often. But yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to get away with not speaking Portuguese here. Yeah, I did read once in an article, and I've never seen it mentioned again, but I did read once that in around the 1970s, um, the movies that were being shown, foreign movies in English that were being shown in Portugal were dubbed, and they decided to switch it to subtitles from dubbed. And it's actually amazing throughout Europe, you see that the countries that do subtitles um, instead of dubbing have a higher level of English uh, than the countries that uh, will dub into their own language. But the reason that they did this in the 1970s was to basically make it so that Portuguese people wouldn't understand the English language movies and then that would encourage the local film industry to start making more and more films in Portuguese that people could go and enjoy. And apparently what turned out, what happened was that that didn't happen. And instead of making more movies in Portuguese, people just learned English better and could enjoy these American movies and, and other English language movies as well. Um, but in any case, you know, after the Carnation Revolution, which toppled the dictatorship in 1974, the language of choice to learn became English. It previously was French. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the level of English in Portugal has just continued to rise and rise and rise um, from that point on. So typically if you're on Camino um, and you're in Portugal, you're likely to find people who will speak English. Now, of course, we live in Lisbon and you're going to have a higher level in urban areas in a big city like this than you will in some of the rural areas that you'll come across on Camino. I mean, we did... Uh, we definitely did come across people who didn't speak any English uh, on Camino. It was a little bit difficult for us to tell because we were speaking Portuguese um, to people, but there were a couple of occasions where we would be with another pilgrim and they were trying to buy something in a shop, and you could tell that the that the person at the shop didn't speak any English at all. But in general, um, there's a very high level of English in Portugal. Mm -hmm. And I did ask pilgrims about this as well because I was a bit curious about how they were getting on uh, with the language, and yeah, my impression from them was that that they were pleasantly surprised at how many people could speak English, even in rural areas. And another point uh, you know, related to this is that if you come to Portugal and you have some degree of Spanish, or even if you speak Spanish fluently, um, well, there's a couple of points to make here. The first is that both in the European case and the South American case, Portuguese speakers can understand Spanish better than Spanish speakers can understand Portuguese. Mm -hmm. yep. And that's, that's documented. It's not just an anecdotal observation. That's really documented. So you might be able to be understood by a Portuguese speaker if you speak Spanish. But if they speak back to you in Portuguese, then you very likely won't understand them. Yes, definitely. Um, and if you see Portuguese written... Uh, and you read Spanish, you can pick up a lot of what's written. So you'll be able to read signs and things like that pretty well. But yeah, the spoken language sounds very different. The pronunciation is very different. It's very kind of closed and they cut off the ends of their words. And even for me, it can be difficult to understand people. And then the second part of this is that if you speak Spanish to a Portuguese person, person they will not like it. Yeah, it doesn't go down well a lot of times. So related to what we were talking about a few episodes ago regarding Portuguese identity, um, the sort of assumption that they speak Spanish or that their language is basically Spanish uh, doesn't go down well at all. Just to give you an idea of this, I'm going to read out a quote from a podcast and a, and a website for learning Portuguese. It's called Practice Portuguese. And there's a couple of guys who, who run it. And they do a really good job with it. Um, but they made a post on social media once, and I just thought it was really interesting and, and, and quite funny. But this is what they said. When you get to Portugal, you will notice that we love to show off our English skills. 
And of course, we love to help foreigners in need. So whenever you are having trouble finding a word, do not jump to Spanish, please. Portugal and Spain are friends and neighbors, but our languages are different, and we do not learn Spanish at school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that makes it pretty clear. <laughs> right, so basically don't speak Spanish in Portugal. Uh, it, it is actually better to speak English, even though Spanish and Portuguese are closer. Um, mm -hmm. It's better to speak English and... You know, if you can just say a couple of words in, in Portuguese, maybe, and ask somebody if they speak English, um, then I think they'll they'll be happy with that effort and they'll prefer that. Yeah. Now, I mean, if that doesn't work, you know, if you're not getting anywhere with English and you find that Spanish is the best way to communicate, then I think it's fine to switch at that point. Um, but, you know, I think it's definitely better to start out with English or to start out with some a few phrases in Portuguese if you're interested and, and keen to you know, try out a few phrases, I think they will really appreciate that. Yeah, and we had an interesting experience with Portuguese on the Camino. As we were walking, I kind of developed or essentially made up this idea that we have four levels of reaction to us when we speak Portuguese to Portuguese people. Um, the lowest level is when you speak Portuguese and the person just speaks back to you in English. Yeah, which really annoys me. <laughs> and that happens quite a lot in Lisbon. Yes. And, you know... It, you can understand it, and if the person speaks better English than we speak Portuguese, then that's, you know, that is understandable for, for communication purposes. But we feel that if we're in this country and we speak this language, you know, well enough to, to do this kind of communication that we need, um, then the person should speak back to us in, in Portuguese. But maybe they're also proud of their English, they want to practice it, and etc., etc. So that does happen quite a lot. We found that on Camino, that almost never happened. No. Maybe, I don't even remember one time it no, not really. And so that was kind of the second level was that people would speak back to us in Portuguese and would often compliment us on our Portuguese, uh, which was very nice. The third level is because of the way you speak, and I speak to some degree, but you speak especially, um, people will be a little bit confused and sort of say, are you Brazilian? But I think they kind of don't quite get it because they must know that we're not native speakers of Portuguese, but they kind of hear the Brazilian accent that you speak with. and um, But that's also a compliment. Mm -hmm. to, yeah. to us and to you if they think that you're a native speaker or, or close enough to a native speaker. For sure. Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, I said that I'm still struggling with transitioning to European Portuguese, even after nearly four years of living here. And currently my strategy is basically just to speak Brazilian Portuguese. There was a time when I really wanted to switch my accent and to speak the way that they speak here, but it just got so jumbled up. And you know, it just came out all weird. And then people would respond to me in English because they'd think, oh, well, she doesn't speak Portuguese very well. Um, so now currently, I'm not totally happy with the situation, but my what's working best for me right now is to mainly speak Brazilian. Although there are certain things that I've picked up from Portuguese that I have incorporated into the way that I speak, but by and large, the way I speak is Brazilian. Right, because even the other day we were talking to Brazilians and you were... You were using some Portuguese-isms uh, in that that they don't use in Brazil. Yeah, and I recognized it as it was happening. We were talking to them for quite a while, for probably an hour or so. And yeah, during the conversation, I would say, oh, yeah, I'm I'm using this form instead of the form that they would use. And the, the form that they were using, I would hear them using it, but it still felt more natural for me to say it in the European Portuguese way. So that was kind of a revelation I had that, um, that my Portuguese has been influenced by living here, but 
but still, the by and large, what I'm most comfortable with is definitely Brazilian Portuguese. And the final level, the highest level of reaction to us, which has only happened once ever, I think, was that uh, someone actually thought we were Portuguese. Yeah, which is weird. Um, it was weird. We'd only said a few words, so I think that was it. If we'd spoken for a little bit longer, I think they would have picked up that we obviously weren't Portuguese. But, um, mm. you know, you can kind of bluff it for a sentence or two and, mm-hmm. uh, and sound pretty good. Yeah. All right. So, you know, as we've said, the level of English is very good. But, of course, whenever you're traveling anywhere in any country, it always helps to pick up some words of the local language, even if it's just a few words. And so there are many ways that you can learn Portuguese online. Um, There are many apps that you can use. Uh, One that I used a little bit was one called Drops. And I think Drops is really good for beginners because it's basically a vocabulary app. And the other thing is that you have native level pronunciation of the words and you can just start to get an idea as to how the the language sounds. Mm-hmm. Because Portuguese does have difficult sounds. It has sounds we don't have in English. Um, the nasal vowels are the main uh, example of this. Um, so, for example, we were talking about this with L a couple of episodes ago uh, about the monastery that we all stayed at one day out of Porto. Mm-hmm. And how would you say it? Verão. Right, verão. Uh, and so that's a, a sound that's a little bit difficult to make for English speakers because we don't have it, that final vowel sound. Um, Actually, it'd be vairão, wouldn't it? V-A-I. Okay, vairão. <laughs> but anyway, the sound that you were pointing out at the end, that's, yeah, that's the same. Um and so that's one that I've used. And yeah, I think for a beginner, that, that's something uh, good to use. Practice Portuguese, as I mentioned, is a podcast focusing on European Portuguese. And they make it very fun. And they have you can join and become a member. And there's lots of fun videos. One of the guys has his grandmother come on. And, and it's just funny to listen to her speak and things like that. And then you have a few other recommendations as well. Yeah. Uh, and these are apps that do have European Portuguese specifically. Because I'd say most of the language learning content Content out there for Portugal for Portuguese is going to teach you Brazilian Portuguese. That's definitely uh, the variant that most people seem to want to learn, and is the, you know the most widely spoken. There are lots more Brazilians than there are Portuguese people. Um, but if you're coming to Portugal and that's the reason that you want to learn Portuguese, I would highly recommend learning European Portuguese. And you might say, oh, how big a difference can there really be? Trust me, it's a big difference. (laughs) So, but I did find quite a few apps actually. Um, Just in the past few weeks, I've, like I said, I'm on this big language learning kick for myself right now. So I've been trying out lots of different things. And particularly because I was interested in Galego, I've been looking for apps that offer lots of different languages because those are the ones that are most likely to offer Galego. There aren't many, but there are a couple and we'll get to that later. But first of all, the ones that offer your European Portuguese are, in addition to Drops, which you talked about already, there's one called Mondly, M-O-N-D-L-Y, another one called Utalk, and those are the two that I'm using currently and that I'm most familiar with. And I would say, like Drops, they are vocabulary apps, so it's kind of like a digital phrase book. And, you know, it's not going to teach you the ins and outs of the language. It's not going to teach you grammar points or anything like that. It will just teach you set words and set phrases, and particularly the types of words and phrases that you're going to need as a traveler. So if you're, if that's, you know, the kind of level of language learning that you're looking for, then these are really good for that. If you want like a full, 
you know, core learning system to really understand the language, then you're probably going to need something in addition to this. But these will all teach you useful words and phrases. So drops only and you talk. You talk is spelled with the letter U and then talk. Um, and then there are some others that I haven't used personally, uh, or at least I haven't used them very extensively, but I have come across them and saw that they did have European Portuguese as well. Um, one is Poro, P-O-R-O. Uh, there's one called Fun Easy Learn. Uh, there's one called Ling, L-I-N-G. And Learn 50 Languages is another one. And then the last one is Bluebird. Bluebird I have used a little bit because that also has Galego as well. Um, and that one seems to be a little bit more than just a vocabulary app. They do have um, dialogues and things where they teach you a bit about the culture, uh, which you know is interesting to learn at the same time you're that you're learning the language. So I haven't delved into that one very deeply myself, but I think that one might be worth checking out too. All right, that's, uh, that's a lot of choices. <laughs> so once you've mastered Portuguese, uh, you'll be walking on the Camino, and then unfortunately you're going to walk over a bridge, and suddenly you're not in Portugal anymore. Whoops. Um, and so you'll hit Tui and you'll be in Spain and more specifically you'll be in Galicia. That's if you're walking the central route of the Portuguese way as we did. Uh, and so a language spoken in Galicia is Galego and this has a very strong relationship with Portuguese and you can say that it is actually the parent language of Portuguese. Mm -hmm. As we mentioned in one of the earlier episodes, Portugal was founded as um, this essentially this piece of land within the kingdom of Galicia and then it expanded from there and so it just took on uh, that language and then the languages diverged a little bit but essentially this they have the same root language which is I think usually called Galego Portuguese or um, Old Galego or Old Portuguese or, or something like this it has various different names but basically these two languages have the same root language and then they've diverged as they were um, you know, ruled as separate polities. And so the mutual comprehension between Galego and Portuguese, especially Portuguese spoken in the far north of Portugal, is about 85%. Right. So they can basically have a conversation, you know, a Galician person speaking Galego and a northern Portuguese person speaking Portuguese, and they can each speak their own language and go back and forth and understand each other pretty well. And so that's the really interesting thing is that Galego is classified as its own language, not just a dialect, although there are disputes about that, which you're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so you would classify it as being in between Spanish and Portuguese as a language. And so that, you know, firstly, that goes to show that Spanish and Portuguese aren't as close as you might think, because there's a whole other language in between them. Mm. Um, but then the other interesting thing is that given that it is between them, it's actually closer to Portuguese than it is to Castilian Spanish. Yes. And that also goes back to what we were talking about um, in our episode about walking in Portugal, that the relationship between Portugal and Galicia is very strong. And in some ways, the northern Portuguese feel closer to the Galicians than they do to the rest of Portugal. And the Galicians feel closer to the northern Portuguese than they do to the rest of Spain. And mm -hmm. that's kind of borne out in the language as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so you have been going on this uh, Galego run for the past uh, couple of months, just mm -hmm. like you sprung Croatian on me just a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> about a few weeks before we started this Camino, you said, hey, I'm learning Galego now. Um, <laughs> the first thing is that it's interesting about Galego and given the spread of Castilian Spanish, how widespread is Galego within Galicia? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question, and it's kind of hard to say. I've been trying to figure this out myself. Um, I mean, on the one hand, it seems like it is pretty widely spoken because it's taught in schools, um, and that has been the case for I don't know for how long, but for a number of years. So, um, you know, everyone who's gone through the school system recently has has grown up. Uh, Studying Galego, but what I've gathered from things that I've read on Galician websites and also from speaking to a Galician tutor who I did a, a Galego course with um, is that a, fewer and fewer people are speaking it at home as their mother tongue. So it's basically being taught in schools as a second language rather than being taught you know, as the, the language, their mother tongue that they would speak at home. Um, so there is this, you know, strong movement to kind of revive the language. Uh, but some people are quite, some Galicians are quite reluctant to speak it, particularly in the cities, because it's viewed as, you know, a kind of countryside peasant farmer language. So um, the people who are from the cities, they don't want to be seen speaking Galego because, you know, it makes them look like hillbillies. That's interesting, if I can just interject, because all of the Romance languages began in that exact same way as this vulgar Latin, which was seen exactly in that way, not as a literary language, not as a language of, of the clergy or of the government or anything like that. And all of them overcame that. Hmm. And so Galego, it seems, is a few centuries behind in, in that way. But that's exactly the way that Portuguese was once seen in, in Portugal compared with Latin, or more specifically, um, Italian dialects compared with Italian um, as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that Galego is sort of going through that process much, much later than the other Romance languages. Yeah, maybe. And maybe they, they will win that battle. And maybe that, you know, does offer a glimmer of hope. But um, some of the things that I've read on, you know, pro-Galego websites have been rather pessimistic about the current situation and saying that, um, yes, it's being taught in schools and people know how to speak it, but they don't actually want to speak it. And that, you know, is not very promising for the future survival of the language. Right. And it's not just about language, is it? I mean, it, it's um, easy to think that it might be. But if you look at the other side of Spain and if you look at Catalan and how that has you know, prompted or helped the Catalonian independence movement. Um, there's a lot of politics going into language as well, um, you know, within Spain and in other countries as well. And so it's not just about um, the language itself, but it's about whether you're looking at independence or greater autonomy or things like that. Absolutely, yes. And so there are lots of debates about, um, yeah, about Galego, about whether it even is a language. And all of this is very political. Um, and perhaps surprisingly, the people who are um, the most kind of independent uh, movements, uh, you know, that, that kind of left-wing side, um, nationalist, Galician nationalist side of the debate, a lot of them say that it's not a language, that it's actually Portuguese. They call it Galego Portugues. Um, and that it's just one variant, one dialect of Portuguese, just like what is spoken in Brazil is also a variant or a dialect of Portuguese. 
Um, and so that might sound counterintuitive that a nationalist or independence movement would not want to have its own language, but I think the idea is that they want to move closer to Portugal and move further away from Spain. So, and they feel like that if they can claim that they are part of the Portuguese speaking world, then suddenly they are connected not only with Portugal, but also with Brazil and with Angola and Mozambique and Cabo Verde and Goa and, you know, all of these former Portuguese colonies all over the world as well. And then that gives them a much um, you know, larger thing to to be a part of than to just be this tiny little country off by itself in the corner of Spain. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's the opposite of, of what you would imagine. Um, but you can see how, yeah, becoming part of the Portuguese world has its advantages for them as well. Yeah. So um, there's a specific name or a couple different names for that. Um, the people who want to be part of, well, I wouldn't say they want to be part of Portugal, that's not true, but uh, they uh, want to have stronger ties with Portugal and they are claiming that Galego and Portugal, Portuguese, the languages are basically the same. They're called reintegracionistas, so reintegrationists, so they want to reintegrate uh, with Portugal. Um, you can also call them lusistas, as in lusophone, uh, Lusitania was the ancient Roman, you can probably say this better, <laughs> what was Lusitania? Uh, it was, it's a Roman province which more or less corresponded with the boundaries of modern-day Portugal. So uh, any word that's related to that uh, essentially means Portuguese or Portuguese-speaking people. Right. And so then on the other side of the spectrum, you have the um, people who d don't want, you know, this closer connection with Portugal. Um, they are called either autonomistas or... <laughs> perhaps um, a bit more disparagingly, isolacionistas, so autonomists or isolationists. Um, and so this is a debate not just about whether it's a language or not, but also about how it's going to be written. So uh, currently, uh, the official form of Galego uses um, basically the same kind of writing uh, and same kind of letters, uh, orthographia, I don't know how you would say it, spelling, I guess, um, <laughs> the same spelling as uh, Spanish. So uh, you have the inye, you know, the in with the little tilde over uh, the top of it. Um, you have, that's what you use in official Galego, whereas in Portuguese, that same sound is represented with nh. Right. So to give an example, which is pertinent to our podcast, mm. the word Camino. Yes. So in Castilian Spanish, it's Camino, just with a regular N. In Portuguese, it's Camino, with the NH making the Ñ sound. And in Gallego, they also have the Ñ sound, but it's written Camino with the tilde over the N, which doesn't exist in Portuguese, but does exist in Castilian Spanish. Mm -hmm. So you often have this situation where the pronunciation of Gallego leans more towards Portuguese, but the writing leans more towards Castilian Spanish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's just one of quite a few different examples of ways that uh, things are written differently in Portuguese and Galego. Because Galego was not a written language for several hundred years. If you go all the way back to medieval times, it was just Galego Portuguese. Like that was just, that was just one language back then. Galician and Portuguese were the same language. Um, and then 
from, say, the 15th century, it wasn't written anymore because it was being controlled by Spain and Castilian Spanish was the only official language that was the only language that things were written in. And that continued for about 400 years until the 19th century when there was this renaissance of Galician culture and language and people started writing in the language again and they had to figure out how they were going to do that. And um, at that point, you know, there had been so much influenced by Spanish that they took on the the Spanish spelling but that was a big debate and continues to be a big debate and so it was only in the 1970s and 80s that the official Galego that we have now the official way of writing and spelling Galego that that was formalized um, but there are people who are still, you know, arguing that it should be the other way, that it should be written more like Portuguese. And there, even more recently, there was a proposal that it should be binormativo. So b meaning two. So basically, you should have two different norms, two different standards that are both equally valid and both accepted. So people can use the one that they prefer. And then both of them would be taught in schools. I don't know. I think it sounds like it would get a little bit messy. But anyway, the point is that this is quite a messy debate. And it's also a very political one. Right. And that's probably the way to try to get a compromise out of it. But in the end, maybe you don't really please either side when you're continuing to push two different ways of doing it. Mm. Um, all right. So to bring us back to our Camino, it was quite interesting when we were in uh, Galicia, when we were in Santiago de Compostela specifically, you would say to people, Usually in Castilian Spanish, you would say, you can speak Galego uh, with me, I can understand it, basically. You couldn't actually even say that in Galego because your spoken Galego is, is, is very basic. Yes. Um, and there are a couple of times when people did that. I remember one uh, woman in particular, and she was very happy to speak Galego, and it was quite okay for us to understand it, even for me, mm-hmm. and I haven't done any study of Galego at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was quite funny because then the next day we were at a different restaurant and the waiter was speaking just regular Spanish with us. And for some reason, we just had a lot of trouble understanding him. Yeah. And maybe it was partly because also because he was wearing a mask and that makes it more difficult when you're trying to understand a foreign language. But we had to ask him to repeat himself several times. And fortunately, he didn't switch to English or maybe he didn't speak English. He continued with Spanish, but we just... For some reason, yeah. because we speak Spanish pretty well, but we just could not understand this guy at all. And it was actually easier understanding this woman speaking Galego than the night before than it was understanding this guy speaking Spanish. Yeah, I don't know why what it was with that guy. I think it was, you know, some people just have difficult accents. And yeah, we both had a really hard time understanding him for some reason. Um, but yeah, I had really big ambitions uh, prior to this Camino. Um, and even, you know, while we were on the Camino, but still in Portugal, as we were getting closer and closer to Galicia, I was kind of psyching myself up to speak Galego once we got across the border. But then I kind of chickened out. <laughs> and it wasn't until the end, really, when we were in Santiago or getting close to Santiago, that I did have a few interactions with people in Galego. And that was really cool. Um, so it was usually once they... Well, yeah, there was that, that one woman that you referred to. Um, I think she asked us before she went into her big explanation of the menu. She said in Spanish, do you speak Spanish well? You know, can I continue? Cause she wasn't sure. We'd only said a few words at that point. And so I said, yeah, we speak Spanish well. And we also understand Galego pretty well. He said, Oh, okay. Well, then I'll speak to you in Galego. <laughs> 
And uh, then the other time that I remember in particular was on the boat during uh, when we were on the Variante Espiritual. And so, as we mentioned in the episode about the Variante Espiritual, there were five, there were five of us, five pilgrims on the boat, and we were uh, two Italians and then three of us who lived in Portugal. There was one Portuguese man and then the two of us. And so once the boat driver realized that it was two from Italy and three from Portugal, he said, okay, well then I'm just going to speak Galego because that's what people are going to understand the best. <laughs> um, and so that was a lot of fun too. Uh, I didn't catch everything, but I, I did understand a lot and I really enjoyed those interactions. And I found that people in Santiago did speak a lot of Galego. I did hear it spoken in shops and restaurants and things like that. Um, I remember one time in particular, I was in a shop and the shop owner was speaking Spanish, but the customer who she was dealing with was speaking Galego. And, you know, they were going back and forth that way. So I guess obviously, you know, some people have different uh, degrees of how comfortable they are with it. She could obviously understand it, but didn't feel comfortable speaking it. But it did seem probably more widespread in Santiago than in anywhere else that we passed through. Um, lots of times in the restaurants, the menu was written only in Galego. I mean, maybe they had, you know, a Spanish version and or an, and or an English version available as well. But the one that would be offered to us was in Galego. Um, or the one that was written up on the chalkboard for everyone to see would be in Galego. And doesn't that run against the grain of the conventional wisdom that people in the cities don't speak it as much? Yes, it does. But um, my tutor, my Galician tutor, who is from Santiago, uh, who I mentioned before, he did say that Santiago was different uh, and that it is widely spoken there. The two cities that he... Um, pointed out in particular where generally people don't like to speak it is Vigo uh, and A Coruña. So if you're on the uh, Camino Inglés, for example, and starting in Coruña, you might not have too much luck trying to speak Galego there. Um, or the Portuguese coastal right. going through Vigo. Right. Um, but yeah, in Tui and Pontevedra, I did see some Galego and hear some Galego. Um, but I feel like I heard it most in Santiago. Um, and I'm not sure exactly why that is. I mean, he said something like it started out as a village and then it kept growing and, um, you know, incorporating other villages, but it still had this kind of village mentality as, you know, and it's a very old place, obviously, um, as opposed to perhaps A Coruña and Vigo or our more modern cities. And that's why it's different there. I'm not really sure. All right. So if people want to learn a few words of Galego or more than a few words, what do you recommend? Um, so there are two of the apps that I mentioned before that teach European Portuguese. Two of them also teach Galego. And that is Utalk, which again is the letter U and then talk, T-A-L-K, and Bluebird. Um, Utalk is the one that I've been using mostly. I just dabbled in Bluebird. I just found it a few days ago. So I've only done one lesson on there, but it looked interesting too. Um, yeah, Utalk is a vocabulary app, so you can choose from different 
topics like at the restaurant or phrases for shopping or phrases at um, the pharmacy or things like that. And then it has different games that you can play to, to learn those vocabulary words. And there is also, if you go to the Junta de Galicia, like the official government, Galician government website, they have a textbook, um, well, a series of textbooks in different levels for learning Galego. And the PDF version of the textbook is available for free. You can download that for free on the website. And they have um, free audio downloads as well to go with it. So you can listen to little dialogues spoken by native speakers. Now that... I'm going through the uh, the lowest level of the textbook right now, um, and it's all it's only in Galego. So uh, you would need to have a pretty good understanding of probably either Spanish or Portuguese, and that would be enough to be able to understand the exercises in the in the textbook. But if you didn't know any Romance languages, then you would be kind of lost trying to work through it on your own. But um, yeah, if you do have a Romance language background, and particularly in Iberian Romance language background, then it's a great resource. Yeah, it sounds like it. All right. So hopefully everybody is really keen to get stuck into Portuguese and or Galego. Um, but in the meantime, we will see you in the next episode. And bon camino. And I'm going to say it in Galego this time. Bon camino. Thanks for listening. For more great content about the Camino de Santiago, visit our website at spiritofthecamino.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Spirit of the Camino. Buen Camino.